Well, for those who don't know me, my name is Steve Blummer. I'm the pastor of Family and Adults here at Hope Chapel. And uh, I've got a little stiff neck this morning. And I think it's because last week I talked about don't allow a disappointment or a disturbance to deter you from your devotion with God. And so God challenged me this week with that. So be careful what you say, because God may test you. But we're in a summer series called Legends, and we're looking at people in the Bible who are legendary when it came to their faith. And it's really amazing to me how many different people in the Bible with different stories and different lessons about faithfulness. Uh, one of the lessons to me that kind of stands out with these men and women are their faith in the midst of trials and troubles and persecutions. You know, it's really in the midst of these trials and troubles that their faith shines through. And to be honest, this type of faith is a faith that we like to read about. We don't necessarily want to experience and live out in real life. Am I right? I mean, we, we, we say that we want this deep relationship with God, but to be honest, that often involves deep trials in life. We have the stories like Elijah, who ran for his life, who had this bout of depression after Jezebel threatened to kill him. We had Daniel, who was taken to a foreign country with only a few of his friends. Once he was tossed into a lion's den, some of his friends were tossed into a fiery furnace. We have Samson, who was ultimately defeated by the Philistines because his wife sold him out to the enemy. We have Jeremiah, who was constantly being tossed into prison because people just didn't like his message. So I hope you won't call the cops on me this morning. If you don't like what I have to say, just come back next week and Pastor Neil will be speaking. But we have Esther, who had to take courage because she was really the only person who was able to speak to the king, who was her husband, on behalf of the Jews. She had to say, I'm a Jew, and you just made a law that's going to slaughter all the Jews in the land. So she had to have this courage in the midst of trials and troubles and persecutions. And, and, that, and then to be honest, that's, that's not the kind of life that we want to live. I'm not excited about what this life will feel like as I get older, as I feel more of this human body decaying as it races towards death. I'm not excited about that. I'm not excited about being a Christian and being targeted as someone who hates people. I'm not excited about being a, a, a Christian and, and people maybe want to kill me. There's people in the world who are Christians who have to worry about that. It could be just a matter of time before God allows other nations to come and overpower the United States of America because in the past he has kind of destroyed uh, empires of the age and, and perhaps it's just a matter of time before all of that comes our way. To be honest, I would love to have a life of faith where I'm just blessed constantly. That's how I would like to grow on my faith and I'm sure that you're the same way. But these, les these legends grew in their faith in the midst of trials and troubles. And really, they experienced troubles and trials because of their faith. There was something about their faith that put them in a position where they needed to act, they needed to say something. They're convicted by God, and they're kind of conflicted with their faith and what's going on in the world around them, and they just cannot allow it to happen. Something needed to be said, something needed to be done. And today we're going to look at a guy who was legendary in that same way. His name is Stephen. And I thought if I'm going to speak on legends, then I have to speak on the guy that we share the first name, same name, right? There's a few other Stevens here today and they appreciate it as well. So we're going to talk about Stephen. He's in the New Testament. And Stephen's story, like Hannah's story that we heard about last week, only happens in a couple chapters in the Bible. We don't know a lot about Stephen before he's suddenly on the scene. 
um, chosen in Acts chapter 6, but Stephen makes this dramatic entrance, he makes this dramatic exit, and then he has this dramatic impact on Christianity in the world as they knew it. So I would invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs in front of you or underneath you, this is on page 930. We'll read through Acts chapter 6, and then we'll kind of skim through Acts chapter 7, um, just for the sake of time this morning. But uh, let's begin in chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, these are the days when the church just first began, Jesus ascended up to heaven, and people were hearing about the good news of Jesus and were coming to the church by the thousands. Uh, as the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hellenistic Jews, against the Hebraic Jews, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So there was some type of care ministry for the widows, and there was some Hellenistic Jews. Those were the ones who embraced Greek culture, embraced Greek uh, language, probably read the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And then you have the Hebraic Jews who embraced the Hebrew language and the Hebrew culture. To me, this was like a battle between old school and new school way of doing things. But for some reason, in this ministry of care, the Hellenistic Jews felt like their widows were being overlooked. Well, then the 12, the 12 disciples, some of the whole company of the disciples, and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte or a newcomer from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the preaching about God flourished. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some from what is called the Freeman's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, came and disputed with Stephen. So there was people from all over the region that were at the synagogue, and they were disputing with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they induced men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, so they came up, dragged him off, and took him to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin's like a, a council of 70 men who would judge whether someone was really living according to the law or they were breaking the law. They also presented false witnesses who said, This man does not stop speaking blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that Jesus, this Nazarene, will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And I totally relate to him this morning. Chapter 7. Is this true, the high priest asked? And then he goes into this long message, not really answering the question, but uh, beginning to tell basically the history of Israel. And then if you would just skip over to verse 51 of chapter 7. Here he is ending his message. 
or at least his message is interrupted. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit as your forefathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see that heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen had a vision of Jesus standing. There's a few places in the New Testament where we see Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of God. But this is the only place in the New Testament where we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What's the significance? Was Jesus excited in anticipation about wondering what was going to happen next? Was Jesus standing and like uh, uh, applauding Stephen for his message and his boldness to the priests? Or could it have been a reference to like Daniel chapter 7 where it says the Son of Man will come and bring judgment? And so he's saying Jesus was sitting, but now he's standing. He's about ready to arrive and to come on earth and to bring judgment. Your time for repentance is over. Whatever that was, it upset them. Verse 57, then they screamed at the top of their voices, stopped their ears and rushed together against him. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would be Paul, as we know Paul the Apostle. They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep, or he died. Verse chapter 8, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So we have Stephen who shows up on the scene. He's described as someone who's full of wisdom, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He was handpicked because he had this good reputation within the community. And I think there's a few things about Stephen, some characteristics that allowed Stephen to be known for these things. The first of them is that Stephen knew the Scriptures. Stephen knew the Scriptures. It says that he was full of wisdom, full of faith. Now, full of faith could mean that he just had this belief in a God. You can ask, some, ask someone, um, are you a man or a woman of faith? Meaning, do you believe in a God? And people would say that God, their faith in God, has give, kind of helped them through difficulties. And that's just kind of a general statement that they believe that there was a God and God was kind of in control. But full of faith could have meant more that Stephen had this deep understanding of who Christ is and the teachings of Christ. The Apostle Paul would encourage the church to grow in the faith, not just to grow in their faith, but to grow in the faith, in the doctrines and teachings of Christ. And so they needed to go beyond the elementary and kind of principal things of the Bible. 
See, growing in our faith is not simply just wandering around, trusting God, going with the Holy Spirit aimlessly into the mysterious unknown. It's equipping ourselves with solid understandings of what God says in the Word about Himself, about us, and what He's doing in this world. Faith is this balance of of having a level of knowledge and having a level of just trusting the unknown. Faith is believing without seeing And yet, if you could show everything by uh, some kind of physical material or some type of human reasoning, then that's not faith. There is an element of the unknown, of this mysteriousness. But God has revealed himself throughout human history and has given us his word about things like sin and salvation and how to have relationships and and your civic duties and so, so forth, things like that. What we know is that Stephen knew the Old Testament. He knew Jewish history. He, he begins to tell these stories from the beginning about how Israel was constantly not following God's leading. He would tell them how Israel wasn't listening to God through Moses, how, God, how Israel wasn't listening to God through the prophets. And then he made those connections through history to their present current realities. And that's what made them upset. They weren't upset that he got some type of Bible story wrong or he missed one. They were upset because he was pointing out Israel's past stubbornness to their current stubbornness. And the way that the Israelites had killed the prophets is the way that they had killed the Messiah. Now, as far as we know, Stephen wasn't previously a priest where he can speak into the lives of priests. He was not educated in the law of Moses like Paul or Nicodemus was. Stephen was probably just a regular Jew who went to synagogue, heard the reading of the scrolls and the teaching of the rabbis. We know that Stephen was not necessarily a young man um, because the word used as a man full of faith and full of wisdom is a man who is either married, has a husband, or at least they're in the age to be married. And he's probably not an old man because there's a word for that in the Greek called presbyter. So Stephen is probably a middle-aged family guy like myself but he knew the word of God. And I think if you and I are going to be used by God to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ to other people, we've got to know what the message is. My assumption is that we want to tell other people about the good news of Jesus. And if it's true that we do, then we have to know what God's word says. And this doesn't mean that we have to know the Bible from front to end before we can communicate to to people. It doesn't mean that we have to have all the answers to the skeptics before we're able to communicate any truth. But honestly, sometimes we can't just say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We can't just keep saying, I don't know all the time. We've, we've got to say, I don't know. And then we get into God's word. We get some more knowledge. We get some more knowing. And then we go and say, here's what I found. Here's what I've just learned. And we communicate more of that. Oftentimes I hear people say that they're very intimidated to be around people who can just pull out chapter and verse from the Bible of a story that they're referring to. But the truth is that all of us can get to that kind of stage. It will take years of studying and putting yourself under some teaching of God's word, but I think you'll really be surprised within just a few years how much knowledge of God's word that you really can't have. This summer, Neil and I taught a Bible 101 class during the summer on a Tuesday nights, we talked about where did the Bible come from, how to study the Bible. We gave an overview of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in 60 minutes. 
And uh, we talked about resources that you can use to study God's Word. And there was about 15 or 30 of you that showed up, and it was a great time. Throughout this past year, in our Sunday morning Bible classes, we went through books of the Bible like Psalms and Joshua and the Corinthians. We had Bible classes on, on grief and spiritual disciplines and evangelism. And yet only a small handful of you took the opportunity to learn God's Word through those classes. And I'm not trying to to shame people into going to those classes, but we do kind of take that into account when we evaluate, are we being effective in our time and our resources? The good news is that there's 400 people here at Hope Chapel, whether it's an adult or a youth or a, a child who is engaged in some type of Bible learning, whether it's on a Sunday morning or on Monday, Wednesday night youth groups or on our 19 uh, life groups or the Wednesday Women of Hope Bible study, you are hungry for God's Word. And I think that's incredibly important because the moment that we're not hungry for God's Word, the moment that we're, our relationship with God really begins to unravel. And when our relationship with God begins to unravel, our life can unravel. So stay hungry for God's Word. The early church knew that Being in God's word was so important. They were able to grow because they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were faithful in hearing God's word. And I think that there's a direct correlation between spending time in God's word and communicating the good news of Jesus Christ to our community. If we're not communicating the good news of Jesus Christ to our community, to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, maybe we're just not spending enough time with God. Because that's on the heart of God, to reach others. But we know that Stephen knew the Scriptures. Stephen also knew God personally. He knew God personally. And I don't want to kind of overlook this assumption. We don't really get to see Stephen's conversion. He just suddenly appears on the scene. He's chosen as one of the key deacons. But he's not simply chosen because he has a lot of Bible knowledge. He's chosen because he's full of the Holy Spirit. And you don't get full of the Holy Spirit unless you first accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. See, in the book of Acts, when the gospel began to spread to town, to region, the disciples would hear about people hearing the good news and accepting the good news. They would go out and check it out. We've got to go see what's going on. And when they got there, they were surprised. These people not only heard and believed the message, but they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like we did in Jerusalem. The gift of the Holy Spirit is directly connected when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't have to wait till some later time in your journey with God to receive the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait until you're baptized. You don't have to do a bunch of good deeds in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit the moment that you receive Jesus Christ. Paul at the church at Corinth says, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Because some of the people at Corinth were doing some crazy things with their bodies that Christians should not be behaving such a way. And that's why Paul says that the things that you're doing with your body, you're not just doing them with your body. You're dragging the Holy Spirit with you in your acts of sin and unrighteousness. So stop it. Stop dragging God through your sin. Well, how do you get full of the Holy Spirit? That's always the question. 
Do we receive just a small bit of the Holy Spirit at our point of salvation? How can we get more of the Holy Spirit? Well, being full of the Holy Spirit means that you've allowed the Holy Spirit to control more of your life. You know, if I were to take water and to pour it into a cup, it would fill the cup up. But it only fills the, fills the cup up as it pushes the air out. The air and the water cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Just as the Holy Spirit cannot occupy the same space at the same time as your sinful nature. So in order to have more of the Spirit, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to control more of what our, our attitudes and our actions and our thoughts and our decisions. We've got to be able to push out the hot air and allow the Holy Spirit to control us. Being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. It looks like us pushing down the sinful nature of hate and immorality. Even at the church of Ephesus, Paul says, Filling, being filled by the Holy Spirit looks like singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It, it looks like giving thanks to God every day. It looks like a humble and submissive life to one another. Having the Holy Spirit should be evident in some type of good works. It's not the good works that brings the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit that brings good works within us. There was something about Stephen that it was evident that his life was full of the Holy Spirit. He truly was a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you and I are going to be able to carry this message, not only do we have to know what the message is, but we need to be led and to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Spirit to control us, to guide our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions and our decisions. Well, Stephen was asked to take this role of, with the distribution among the widows, and he gladly accepted his role because I think Stephen knew that his service would help spread the good news. Stephen knew his service would help spread the good news. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, right after we see them electing these seven, it says, So the preaching about God flourished. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. This is one of the reasons why the deacons were selected. They were, they were selected to make sure that the distribution of food and care, that it happened fairly and effectively. But in order to allow the apostles time and energy to study the scriptures, to preach the word, and to spend time in prayer, someone needed to take care of this other ministry. And so when this team was able to do what they were called to do, then the apostles were able to do what they were called to do. And it's at this moment that we see the church flourish, just as it did just in the beginning in Acts chapter 2, when thousands of people came to understand and to believe in Jesus. Stephen understood that the apostles, they can't do it all. It's impossible for them to do it all. And that they needed to do what they were called to do. This team wasn't formed so they can go back to the apostles and say, we have some ideas that I think would work and that you guys should do. They, this team wasn't formed so they can hold the apostles accountable, saying it's still happening, you're not doing it right. This team was formed to actually fill the gap of service in something that needed to be done in something that shouldn't be overlooked. And they gladly took on this role because they knew that they would give the apostles more and more time to do what really needed to be done in another ministry that did not need to be overlooked. And that's the same reason why we have deacons and elders and key ministry leaders and volunteers 
um, all over Hope Chapel. And if you're not serving in a ministry, I would encourage you to get involved in a ministry, to write on your connection card, plug me in, put me in somewhere. There's a need really for everybody. We have needs like brewing coffee, greeting someone at the door, helping families check in at Kids Connect, cleaning the church during the week, painting, mowing, cooking, delivering meals, managing our website and our social media, people to run the sound and the visuals. We even need a few people to install 402, exactly, LED light bulbs that we just got in to replace the fixtures in the church building. Now, that would take a long time for a, a staff to do. I'm not sure. We're going to do that at staff meeting tomorrow, Ken? Yeah, okay. Uh, but it will take us a long time to do that. But we need people to be able to, to fill in these needs. And when those needs are filled, then the spread of the gospel happens greatly. Not only did Stephen get excited about this, this ministry, but he got excited about spreading the good news himself because Stephen knew that evangelism is not just for the apostles. Stephen knew evangelism was not just for the apostles. You know, we really don't get to hear the plan that was developed in this distribution, but what we do hear is that everyone was pleased with the plan. And then the next thing we see is Stephen is preaching the longest recorded message in the book of Acts. Stephen's not even an apostle, and he gets to have the longest recorded message in the book of Acts. Stephen knew that he was called to serve in this area of ministry, but that he was also called to share the good news with somebody, anybody. And it wasn't because he had this new title and position as a deacon. It was because he was a believer of Jesus. There are people who have the gift of evangelism, and I think we have some of those people here today, but not all of us have that gift, and so we're intimidated with sharing the good news with other people. But whether you have the gift or you don't have the gift, you and I are supposed to be sharing the good news with other people. Jesus really demands that all of us who have accepted him as our Savior to go and baptize believers and teach them everything that God has commanded. So how do we do that? How do we tell other people about Jesus? Some of it just starts with sharing our own story, where we used to be, where we're at now. We're talking about our own faith journey. Maybe we could talk about where we hope to be one day. We know we're not there yet. But eventually, we do have to have this conversation about sin and a Savior. And that's where it puts people off, talking about sin. Telling someone they're a sinner does not mean that they're an evil person. It just means that they're imperfect. And all of us are imperfect. All of us have sin. And all sin is the same. Because all sin separates us from God. Our problem is our sin. But the good news is that God has provided a way out. He gives us this proposal. If you would accept and believe that I sent my son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins, if you would believe that by faith and accept the gift of salvation, I will forgive your sins. That's it. He lays before you this proposal. It's in your court. Are you going to profess it or are you not going to profess it? That's the truth that we eventually have to talk about. We have to talk about the truth. But when we talk about the truth, we do so with grace. 
I think it's amazing that it says that Stephen asked God to forgive them as he was being stoned by them. Stephen definitely didn't shy away from the truth, but he also embraced grace. He loved these people. That's why he communicated God's message to them. So when we speak the truth, we can't forget grace because the people of this world are blinded by Satan. They're hardened by their sin. And when you preach sin and repentance without grace, you're only hardening their heart more. And Paul says that if you don't have love, you're just like a clanging cymbal. Boom, you're just making noise. That's all you're doing. You've got to speak truth, but you've got to show grace. And then we have to accept the fact that some people just won't like the message no matter how we say it. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of wisdom. He had truth. He had grace. He was performing miracles and signs. But there was obviously a group of people who did not like his message. But Stephen was courage enough, even though he knew that they may not accept his message. I don't think Stephen even had a clue of what would happen. Stephen knew a lot of things. He knew God personally. He knew the scriptures. He knew that his service would help spread the good news. He knew that evangelism was not just for the apostles, but Stephen did not know the impact of his mission. I'm sure Stephen had no idea that that would be his last message that he would speak. I'm sure Stephen never thought that his death would spark a persecution across the land that would cause Christianity to spread around the region. I'm sure Stephen never thought that someone standing there watching him being stoned would come to know Jesus and would be one of the greatest tools used by God in the early church. And Paul, who was that Saul that we saw, credited Stephen's death to the beginning of Christianity to explode far beyond the reaches of Jerusalem, far beyond this group of debaters, far beyond the priests and the Jewish people who were hearing it. Because of Stephen, the word of God spread to the Gentiles, where many of you and I are. We're Gentiles. We're not Jews. And it was all because Stephen was faithful to God's message and to God's mission. You and I never know the impact of the words that we use in the service that we participate in. I would have never imagined that one day God would be using me on a stage to speak to you. I'm sure my Sunday school teachers never thought that this guy would grow up and be a pastor and a preacher one day. And I have no idea what God will do through just this message. But what I do know is that God is also faithful to his servant's word and their actions. Nothing goes in vain. So I do encourage you this morning to be like Stephen, to speak the truth, to be bold, and to serve, serve passionately, to be in God's word, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to be filled up so that we can go out and to go the distance and help spread the good news to people who desperately need to hear it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this story of Stephen. I thank you for Stephen's boldness and, and courage to not just step up and fill a gap in, in, in a service where there was a great need, but to also accept his responsibility to communicate the gospel to those that he knew. God, give us the hunger for your word. Give us the courage and boldness
to desire to tell somebody else about the good news that has been working in us. God, we know that it can be very intimidating and scaring, but the truth is that there could be someone who is looking for some hope in their life, and we are carrying that hope. The same Holy Spirit that lived in Stephen is the same Holy Spirit that we have in us today. The Holy Spirit guides us in truth, helps us to understand your word, and then helps us to deliver that word. God, help us to spend time in your word and to spend time in the Holy Spirit, trusting you, guiding you. We need your help in these things. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.